to Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Hey, Drew Jordan. How are you, sir? What's up, Brian? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, wrapping up this. This is big. This is the 10th episode of Breaking Down Bits, the the grand finale of season one. Uh, and we have a, a very special guest uh, on with us today. And man, it's just been a great run. And I appreciate the community of people really showing up lately, showing some love, speaking up about the different episodes, helping us understand what you are really enjoying about the podcast. So hopefully we can create more of that. Yeah, I'm very proud about what we've put together. We've really tried to create a collection of timeless stuff that comics can go back to and visit. And uh, actually a really good opportunity right now to talk about callbacks. So what did you Hey, what did you learn from our last conversation with our guest, Ron G? Uh, Ron G was great. I think he he brought a pretty different perspective, especially since he's got some some serious acting chops. Um, he was thinking about your, your. He talked a lot about legacy. That was a big theme for sure. And I think as a young comic, you kind of can get excited about whatever jokes might get a room riled up. So you might find that you can really wreck a room with some fart and dick jokes. But Ron G would question you: Is that who you want to be? You might be typecasting yourself. You're creating a character. If you're thinking about going into acting later, um, do you want to be the dick and fart joke guy or do you want to be seen, you know, just like be very conscious of the content you bring so that you're proud of it later on and create the character and the comedy uh, that you want, that you will be proud of in the future. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of people, including myself, connected to the what is your comedy legacy? (sighs) That was a heavy one he, he got to us. We got really deep in the episode. The other thing that he encouraged us to do is, so he had a lot of call to actions, but go out and experience life. So he's like, he's like, you're married, you're divorced, you have kids. That's great. Or get out there. Remember his example of, of being in a Black Lives Matter rally? Uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and that was where he was, you could tell he was drawing material from. And so just uh-huh. get out there and do things and that'll inform your comedy. So if you haven't listened to the episode, make sure you get out there and Find it. Breaking Down Bits is is your canal to everywhere you can get our stuff. We're on Apple. We're on Google. We're on YouTube. If you want to watch the video version, that's where you get us. And please follow us on social media and all that fun, happy stuff. And if you watch the video today, you'll see that Brian is rocking some very classy. Gla- he looks so smart in his glasses today. Uh, I feel just dumb now. I don't know. <laughs> hey, at the end of season 10 or the end of season one, episode 10, I'm starting to get a lot smarter with my comedy. <laughs> and so I just wanted to play the part. No, these are. These I'm wearing are- a bow tie next next time. <laughs> Yeah, season two, kick it off with a bow tie, man. Uh, let's make it formal. But no, these are uh, blue light blockers. So if you're spending a lot of time in front of the screen, protect your eyes, baby. That's what we got to do. All right. Uh, so get out there and find that episode on our website. Hey, I'm going to do one more quick thing because I think this is important, Drew. And you're on the show, so you, you can't knock me for doing this. Uh, I've got a comedy show that I've been producing uh, it's called The Riots, and we've got one coming up uh, next Friday, uh, September 25th, and we'll have uh, actually every two weeks we have them. And what we're doing with that show is we're doing it live, in person, socially distanced, mass required, temperature at the door, all that fun stuff that makes it safe. Uh, but for people that aren't prepared to do that, or if you just don't get a ticket in time, you can watch it online, and I've got a live stream. So one of the things I wanted to throw out there is you can get to our website, theriothtx.com, theriothtx.com. Use discount code PODCAST, okay? Use the discount code PODCAST, and the live stream is only 5 bucks. And awesome. Drew, Drew, that live stream that we're doing, you know I connected to the soundboard. I've got the audience noise in the back. I just added a new camera with optical zoom to get that tight shot of the comics so you can actually see their face and their expressions. I'm going to look so good. Ah, yes, you are, my Saturday man. Saturday doing my sweet time on I'm the right. Riot. That's right, man. I might even wear my glasses. So listen, the RiotHTX.com, discount code podcast. We hope to see you there. All right, Drew, let's go ahead and do it. Let's bring in our guests. But first, a quick introduction. John Reap is a nationally touring comedian whose contemporary country point of view has won over fans in comedy clubs, TV, and in film. 
As a stand-up, he's built a following through his hilarious stand-up comedy specials and as the winner of NBC's fifth season of Last Comic Standing. John is also the host of the popular podcast, Country-ish. As an actor, John has been seen in CW's Jane the Virgin, ABC's Blackish, HBO's Eastbound and Down, and as the Hemi Guy from Dodge's popular ad campaign. On a nonstop tour since he burst into the scene, John performs to sold-out audiences at clubs and theaters across the country. Oh, wow. Hey. Yeah, it's the real deal. That's right. Welcome, John Reap from Hickory. No. <laughs> That's right. You guys, you guys say it like this. Hickory! That's, That's yeah, the one. Whatever. For whatever reason, we don't pronounce the O in hickory. It's just <laughs> hickory. And then a little head wiggle comes with it. I think it, means, I think it means you're proud when you go like that, you know? Yeah. Like side to side is pride. Whereas if you're ashamed, you kind of go up and down like you're admitting defeat, you know? So uh, hickory is this. Then, <laughs> you know, the neighboring county, you know, like Gastonia would be like this. You know? <laughs> That is such a thing with small towns, though. The next town over is trash, but ours is amazing. Right. <laughs> They're making fun of us two doors down. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> My neck, by the way, is sore from doing that joke over the years. I still do it. <laughs> Like I'm not joking. I don't. I think my range of motion is not good. Like that's as far as it goes that way, and, and that's as far as it goes that way. And I, I do believe it has to do with me shaking my head every time I say hickory. That's the price you pay for comedy, man. John, thanks so much for being on uh, season one's finale. John Reap on Breaking Down Bits. Just appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for asking. So we, the, one of the first things we do, John, is we get to understand your story. And I've, I've had the luxury of knowing your story for, for gosh, man, it's got to be about 15 years. You believe that since last comic standing, but that's, that's where I, I found you, me and my, my, my college roommates, uh, watching that show. I actually texted one of them yesterday. I'm like, Hey, remember, remember John? I'm like, Absolutely. And then all of a sudden you're showing up on commercials for, for Dodge trucks and, uh, and, in my, one of, you know, one of my favorite TV shows. And, uh, it's, so it's been really cool to follow your career, but what we like to do is get behind the scenes, man, and, and find out yeah. a lot of comics like to know where those breaks came for you okay. in your career. So, uh, if it was last yeah. comic standing, let us know or something before that. Well, I feel like, uh, you know, if you do this long enough, there are many different breaks, different ones. Uh, it's not just one thing, you know. So uh, I go from the very beginning. I started at Charlie Goodnight's Comedy Club in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, in high school, I was the class clown. My uh, brother got it after me. My dad got it when he was in high school. Everyone said you should be a comedian. But in my hometown, there were no comedy clubs. So to me, it was just like a dream or a fantasy. It wasn't like a possibility. So then I leave Hickory to go to North Carolina State University. And there happens to be Charlie Goodnight's Comedy Club right there, right next to the campus. And um, I was a theater major. <laughs> and uh, my friends are like, dude, you should go check out the comedy. And I got nervous about it. And so... Uh, I, I remember, I think it was a Friday night. I just walked up cold and I didn't have a ticket. I said, uh, hey, ma'am, it's my first. I've never seen a comedy club in my life. Can I just stick my head in the door and see what it looks like in there? And she's like, yeah, get in here. <laughs> and, and so I like open the door and I kind of I look in there and there was this girl on stage and it was a packed house. And I forgot the joke, but she she told a joke and it worked and the whole crowd just erupted with laughter. And I, and I was like, oh, that's power. I want this. I want this. Uh, and then I shut the door and I started getting really nervous because now my fantasy has turned into a reality, except now I got to go do the work. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and, now, and now I have a chance to screw up my fantasy. Because in my head, in my head, I'm killing. Uh, <laughs> Here we all are. Yeah. And now I have the chance where it's like, yeah, we're going up there, big boy. Think you could do this? And so uh, I was nervous for a while. I, I avoided it for a little bit. And then I went up on the open mic nights 
Um, and they were teaching a class and the guy basically told me like, if you don't take this class, you're not going to get on stage. I said, all right, I'm taking the class. And, uh, and so that, and that helped. Um, and I, that was just the baby steps. I just, I just kept doing that, going back to open mics, getting as much stage time as I could. Uh, and that slowly, slowly started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So now I'm like a good, really good feature act. Um, high energy, got a good solid 25 minutes. Um, and then sometimes if a headliner don't show up, you know, they'll throw me up there and do 45 and stretch and that kind of stuff. Um, but I didn't get like, I'd say like the first break was, uh, I was winning like these local talent contests, you know, uh, they've got different ones that pop up all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I won one in raleigh or no charlotte and then i was asked to audition for the uh the uh aspen comedy festival mm-hmm. which i don't know if they do that anymore there's aspen and there's montreal and and both montreal and aspen asked me to come be a new face wow and so i went to montreal as a new face uh did well enough to you know, gain some interest. People wanted to take meetings with me and that kind of stuff. And, and so, um, I went out to LA after that and just took these meetings. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what they wanted. It was just a general meeting, but I thought, am I supposed to come in here with charts and graphs and you know, I don't, <laughs> PowerPoint? I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got ideas. What, how, long, what, how much time do you have? And so I, I walked in there and I said, well, one lady was very nice. I said, because I said, uh, am I supposed to pitch you my sitcom idea? She goes, yeah, go ahead. Like, uh, like this means nothing. I got five minutes to go. And, and I did. She goes, hey, that was not bad for your first pitch. That was not bad. You have a nice day. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was more of a general meeting. I met with uh, Ron Howard's Imagine TV and CBS, wow. some other places. They all said the same thing. You're funny. Uh, and you're physical and you act out your bits like a natural actor. You should at least come to LA and maybe audition for commercials and see what happens and try, try doing comedy in LA. I was like, okay, well, if they're telling me to do that, I think I should do that. And so I moved to Los Angeles in the year 2000 and I had a buddy who came out before me. Uh, I had a very interesting group of guys that I came up with. You know, you know how like every comedian sort of has those core group of dudes that are going yeah. through the same thing at the same time, you know? So mine was Jeff Richards, who was on SNL and Mad TV. He's one of the only guys in the history of the world to be both hired and fired from both <laughs> Mad TV and <laughs> SNL. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then, so he got out to LA before me. So when I got out there, I, I crashed on his couch for a little while, but, um, that's what started the LA train going, you know? So it went from like open mics, getting some good feature spots, winning little local things here and there, getting a buzz and then, uh, and then, uh, applying for, uh, the huge festival and, and doing well there. Yeah, I can keep I can keep talking, but I don't know if you have questions at this point. No, that's great. I think that I think there's a lot of comics um, in that stage where maybe you, you start to kind of excel locally. You start mm-hmm. to kind of okay, and, and maybe maybe you do win one of those local competitions, or you do well in it. You're starting to find your voice. You know, right. we're in Houston, and so there are some guys you know, that are doing the, the, the runs over to San Antonio, Austin, Dallas, uh, starting to get some, some extra opportunities outside of their city, which feels like the first step to kind of taking it to the next level. What, what advice would you give to guys who are, you know, looking to take that first step to get a road gig? What do you have to do to get a road gig? What did you do to kind of like start connecting with these clubs? Um, maybe a little insight there you could bring to some of the comments yeah. kind of getting, get to that space. Well, uh, you're talking about guys uh, doing gigs locally, right? Uh, we're talking feature acts or headliners. I mean, for for me and Brian right now, we're still personally in a place where maybe, I mean, a feature is kind of even a stretch for us. We we do what 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's what we typically get. 
Um, so I, I think there's a lot of guys though listening though who do have a strong feature set. Yeah, might be headliners. Um, but yeah, let, let's talk like the feature. So let's say you got 25 minutes. What 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 you what you should be doing at that point? I'm curious of how it works these days, um, <laughs> because when I started out, um, a feature you could make a living as just a feature and not have to know the headliner. Gotcha. So I, I feel like nowadays most clubs are saying, okay, so we're going to bring in this headliner and he always brings his buddy the feature. Okay. So we don't have to book a feature. Mm. Um, and if you show up without one, they're like, oh, okay, well, let's go get uh, Randy. He's available and uh, he, he can do 15 clean. And then we don't have to put him in a hotel. So I feel like the feature spot is, is, is dwindling or it's getting pulled it's not what it, it's not what it used to be. Uh, so fortunate for, for me, I started at a time where I didn't have to know any headliners. I could just be a high energy feature act and the clubs would like that. Um, so what I did, this was interesting. I, I was, uh, I, you know, I was a communication major and I was working as an intern at a local TV station. Nice. Uh, the PBS of North Carolina. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. There's PBS yeah. Carolina. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Nice. We've got uh, great shows like legislative week in review and uh, North Carolina now. <laughs> okay. Stop. Actually, let's just stop the podcast. I'm going to go watch some North Carolina PBS. Yeah. Snooze fest, man. But those are the shows. I learned a lot, you know, um, like behind the scenes. I knew how to work the cameras, the, the boom mics, the lavaliers, all that crap. And uh, the guys who worked there were my friends. We would hang out after and have beers together. And they all, they all knew I was doing stand-up. Mm -hmm. So one night I said, hey, guys, this weekend, they asked me if I could feature. Um, what if you guys bring in some cameras and record my set? Ooh, and so these yeah. guys were like, sure, you know, just give us some beer. So I had like three cameras uh, in, in the club with two channels of audio. And I had a great set. And I took that. And I went back and I, you know, and I edited, I edited that to where the crowd was a little louder than it should have been. Put it on VHS. Yeah. Oh yeah. I put graphics on it. Yeah. And not only that, but we also had all these recyclable tapes that uh, VHS tapes that just laying around that no one used. And so I had free tapes, and I had decks. I could make uh, twenty recordings at one time. <laughs> nice. So it cost me zero dollars to come up with an amazing press kit. Um, mm. And what I did was just cold column, you know, I, whatever, there was this magazine back in the day that had every comedy club in it, like the address, the phone number, I forgot the name of it, but uh, I got a hold of that thing. And I just sent this packet out to any comedy club that I could get the address for, made a fake little resume, put a stupid headshot in there. And uh, slowly over time, the offers were coming in because it was all like, he's clean, he's high energy, he's happy. It's, he's not going to uh, do anything to piss the crowd off. Let's go ahead and have him in here. Um, nice. So I did that. That's how I started my feature career. And I, I, I did it all over the road. I quit my job to do it. 1998, mm. I quit that TV job. I walked into my boss's office. I said, well, you know, I've been doing stand-up. And uh, I just got all these offers for the rest of the year. I think I'm going to take them. And he's like, well, when, when, when that doesn't work out, <laughs> we might have a spot for you here. Uh, so he was cool about it, you know. But I never looked back. I just jumped head first. I was young and stupid and didn't know the consequences. And I luckily had a credit card or two. And uh I, I basically lived off my credit cards. I mean, you make no money as a feature. I was making $50 a show yeah. uh, or something like that. And I, I would have a gig in Fargo, North Dakota. And then the next night I was supposed to be on stage in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And this was driving. I couldn't afford flying, so I had to drive. I drove my Suzuki sidekick all over <laughs> this country. And uh, Sick. I did that for about, let's see here. 98. They've been for about two and a half years. Wow. Um, and then when you move to LA, it's different. That Doing comedy in LA is way different because 
there's not as many clubs as a, as that are accessible like they are where we're at, you know. Yeah. And then uh, you got to then you got to get to know those people. That's like a whole nother thing. It's like, well, I know these people. I got a good reputation here. Now, if I go over there, they're gonna be like, "Who, who are you? What do you do?" You know, oh, yeah. gonna start all over again. So that's how it worked out for me. But I don't know how features do it now. I think I think the trick now is find a headliner, and uh, you know, tell him uh, tell him you'll be low maintenance and carry his bags, <laughs> and uh, maybe you'll have that kind of luck. I, I really don't know. That's that's helpful. I mean, it, it, honestly, what you said really ha- the medium has changed, but the the technique has not. The hustle has not. So what we've yeah. what we're seeing, what we're advised to do these days, obviously, is we don't have to do VHS, but you 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 do the same thing as far as getting all the sound, jacking up the crowd audio, and and getting that tape, and then uh, getting that on the internet where people can find it, and then finding as many email addresses as you can to bookers. Yeah. And get the right. word out and get the word out. Uh, and then you talked about energy on stage, which is so key. I love that you keep bringing that up because if you're a feature, you want to get the crowd going. And sometimes they're going to want you to work clean. So you mentioned that too, right? Sometimes they're going to ask you. So you got to be prepared for that. Yeah. Uh, so those those are timeless. Uh, that's timeless advice. Uh, one quick thing I wanted to ask follow up is the two and a half years you spent on the road. And then you mentioned you had to go start over again in L.A. Would you do it that way again? Uh, yeah, I, I think I did the right thing. Good. Um, because New York, well, New York would have been, uh, it's interesting. I, I don't know how I would have panned out in New York. I, I knew less people in New York. And so that may have taken me longer to get my foot in the door of a club there. Um, the great thing about the comedy store in LA is it's like a fraternity. And if you can get in the comedy store in LA, it's like you're a frat, you're a frat member forever. And that place is like a frat house. I mean, they got three different rooms going off at all times of comedy. There are people just wandering the halls going, what's in this room? Oh, that's the belly room. There's, there's some comedy up there. And well, what's this one? That's the main stage. So where's the bathroom? Oh, there's this little secret and it's haunted. You know, so like, it's, it's old and it's it's fun. I mean, um, and it's run by comedians, really. Mm-hmm. So um, that place, I was very happy to. I don't know if there, I don't know if there's something like that that exists in New York. I could be wrong. I don't know. Seller maybe, but not. I don't know. Uh, Showtime has that doc coming out October fourth. I'm real excited about the Comedy Store. I don't know if you saw that. Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, I, I have performed in New York many times. Um, I did Dangerfields. The first time I did it was uh, Dangerfields Comedy Club. And they had, this was a random booking that I got on my own. And I, and uh, they're like, yeah, yeah, you could do Wednesday night. And I'm like, oh, cool. 20 minutes, Wednesday night. And I get in there and uh, it's like maybe 30 people there. And they're all from Europe. Like, <laughs> like they're on a trip. <laughs> and they, they don't understand they don't understand my burger king bit you know <laughs> you mean you have a king of burgers yeah it's a restaurant and so i really had to explain it to him and it took the fun out of it and i could not wait for it to be over with um but uh yeah i mean you that city is so huge you never know what's gonna walk in there and sit up that's so you know funny. same same thing with uh, the comedy store you get all kinds of people. Uh, it's just su- such a huge uh, city that at any given time, you know, like if I go to Raleigh, Charlie Goodnight's Comedy Club, it's going to be probably 80% white people who have jobs and, you know, probably go to church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I go to New York City, I, it, it's who knows what's going to walk in there. Yeah. You know, so that's also good about the comedy store because it keeps you on your toes of like you have to learn how to do these bits uh, in different situations. Um, One of the hardest lessons that I had to learn was I had to follow Andrew Dice Clay at the Mm. comedy store. And so and I was a huge Andrew Dice Clay fan growing up. Uh, I mean, at one point I had uh, he had a, a, a dual cassette that he put out called the day the laughter died and I had it memorized and oh, wow. 
I was such a huge fan of him. Anyway, uh, he brought me up, you know, and I get on stage. He's like, all right, one more time. Interdice Clay. What, what would it sound like if he were from here? And then I started trying to do uh, <laughs> an impression of him. And people were like, oh, <laughs> oh no. Just uh, just do your thing, man. You know, do your thing. Wow. Oh, no, it's a transition. I was trying to do Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the anthropology of comedy is what we're talking about here. You know, it's, it changes uh, yeah. from, from market to market. That's a good observation. Sure. I love the fact that you picked, I love the fact that John, you keep mentioning high energy. Um, do you think some of that came, you mentioned you were, you were a theater, you did some time in, in theater in, in college. Um, did that give you something? What, what got you to the place where you are able to be one thing I noticed just in your comedy in general, I, I was going to save this till we got to the clip, but who cares? Um, your vocal variety is crazy. You're, you have like no. different gears that you like <laughs> hop in yeah. and out of, you know, and, and stronger accent, less accent. And you got your, 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 you're not spastic by any means, not crazy physical, but you use it. You do use physicality very well. Yeah. Were you always that high energy or did you have to work to get that on stage? I was not always that. When I first started, I was not that high energy, but then I remember, I think it was a, one certain bit that I knew required high energy. And then when I did this bit, the laughter was so much bigger and lasted so much longer that I realized, why am I not doing that all the time? Gotcha. So I would, uh, it was a bit where I was making fun of mascots and their stupid sound effects that they have at games, you know, like the Panthers, they do, a gro- they do a growl and all this stuff. <laughs> and I would end up, and I made fun of the Cowboys and then I did, uh, I did a Dolphin. But no, I did the Cowboys last. I did the gunshots, and then I walked over to the stool and pretended to uh, sniff cocaine <laughs> off the stool <laughs> because that's Michael Irvin when he got yeah. himself off for that. Oh yeah, and that took that joke to another level, and it's all acted out. It's it's, it's a punchline, but it's a physical punchline, mm-hmm. and uh, the crowd's like ah, and now I go like, wow, how, how how do I follow that with uh, more talking? um, (laughs) and also i will be honest the first time i featured was in front of an all-black audience the at good nights it was like a wednesday night the headliner uh did not show up and the headliner was like a famous black guy i forgot his name but he had sold out the room and uh something i don't know whatever (laughs) they go uh john you got to go up there now. I'm like, okay. I said, I've never done 30 minutes at one time before. He goes, oh, you can do it. And I used (laughs) to, I used to dance. I used to make fun of dancing by dancing. I used to call myself the Hickory dance machine. And, uh, I would go on stage and start dancing, whatever music they're playing. I would just dance to it. And there's, There's nothing funnier to an all-black crowd than a white guy. (laughs) (laughs) So I got up there, and I'm dancing my ass off. And I started making making up dances. I'm doing a rake, a mop. I'm doing a shovel. I got got all kinds of dances I've made up through the years. Um, And that's like this. (sighs) And then then the music stops. I'm like, so uh, I'm not from around here. And they're like, why is he talking? He needs to be dancing, right? (laughs) <laughs> and so it was hard for me to follow the dancing. Um, yeah. Plus that was the first time I ever tried to feature, but I did learn a lesson. Uh, high energy people like it. Um, mm. but, but there's a fine line of being cheesy about it. Um, I tried to do a little bit of both. I'm not, I'm not afraid to get cheesy, but uh, I also don't try to get too cheesy. I, I just like being physical, like getting into it. That's the kind of comedy I like watching is when someone is really getting into it. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's, it's, maybe that's where it came from. That's the first time I've heard the term uh, physical punchline. I love that, uh, yeah. which is great. So let's get into writing, writing yes. comedy. Real open-ended question. How does John Reap write comedy? I'm about to lose... Uh, uh, AirPod. Oh yes, I know that sound. 
It's a sad. It's a sad. It's always, it's always one ear first, and the one ear is like, bah, 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 and you go to yeah, solo, yeah. and it's not the same anymore. And sitting here, go. Bah, 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 bah. I'm like, oh, it comes. <laughs> and does that give me 15 minutes? <laughs> yeah, uh, you, you never know. Like you charge it for 30 seconds, it's good for like an hour, and then I don't know. Those things are crazy. I don't understand charging technology. Well, how I write today is different than how I used to write. Um, when you're starting out, it's all brand new, so you don't know what to do. You don't you don't know what works for you. Um, so what I would do is come up with an idea, like okay, uh, mascots. Uh, I'll make fun of mascots, and I would sit down. Actually, it would start in my in my head, and then, um, I mean this particular bit started while I was sitting in traffic, and I heard on the radio they played the growl, <laughs> this stupid panther growl. <laughs> I'm like. They play that like at the end of every stupid commercial. Like I get it. We're a Panther, um, <laughs> but that was getting on my nerves. And, I, and then I started brainstorming. What other blah, 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 blah. So in my head, I'm coming up with this funny bit. And then I get home. I'm like, well, let me write this funny bit down. What I think it is, how I think it should be worded. Right. And then I'll write a bunch. I'll write way too much. And yeah. then I'm like, and then I'm like, am I supposed to memorize it? <laughs> like, I've wrote all this stuff and now I'm supposed to memorize it, which you can do. But then there's also, you know, getting up there trying to um, perform a written piece that you're trying to get exactly right can sound like you are delivering the speech. Whereas if you just got the bullet points, you're just like, all right, well, this, I know when I get here that I'm going to say that because to me that's funny. And then, from here, I'll bridge that and I'll do this. So I kind of write off stage in my head. I'll take it to some paper and then I'll take it to the stage. And then uh, that paper, like if it was three sheets of paper, it turns into like one note. And it's just like, well, I don't need to say all this because I know what it is. So I'll just write, you know, little cheat words, little cheat words, you know, a uh, serper. That's the name of the panther mascot, Sir Purr. Why is he a sir? Has he been knighted? Um, <laughs> so, like, I have all these little words, keywords that remind me what the funny part of the bit is so that I'm not trying to read it in my head and perform it like, you know, um, some Disney World character, you know, uh, which a lot of people fall into, uh, especially when you when you get going in the beginning. Um, at some point, you got to make it look natural, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's a whole nother thing. So, Does that mean that your the wording of your jokes changes night to night slightly, or do you do you really like, or, or maybe early in a joke, is it pretty flexible? Yeah, it's pretty flexible. I sometimes let the crowd uh, pick what what they thought was the funny uh, mm-hmm. way way of doing it. Now, and sometimes I'll do it two two or three different ways in the same night at different shows, mm-hmm. and whatever sticks sticks. Um, yeah, because sometimes you don't know. You just don't know. There's five different ways of doing the same joke, and then the crowd will tell you. You just—it's all trial by error. Gosh, I miss that. Makes me miss open mics and and doing double shows. Uh, it's just there's something that feels so great about being able to like if you want if you if there's a certain thing you're trying to work on and you could hit it a couple of times a night and go okay yeah. this time i'm gonna try it this way and this time i'm gonna go ahead and do it that way yeah and you kind of see which way works the best over time obviously any one audience you can't probably trust any one audience but right right it just feels so good to, that feels like that feels tangible you're like ah this is the this is the best way there's there's no better feeling than feeling like you you stumbled into the perfect way to set up a joke yeah and when it works when it works and it's for the first time you're like, oh, I'm a god. <laughs> I am For a certain. god. I, I had a thought. Yeah. I said the thought. Mm-hmm. They laughed out loud. I am That's a god. Magic. Makes, and then you do it like five years in a row. You're like, I, I hate my life. <laughs> to write a new joke <laughs> that's that's the hardest thing about comedy it's the best and worst thing right like all these musicians can write one hit song and just play that for the rest of their lives yeah as comedians you can never stop working <laughs> you have to keep yeah. working but what would you rather do like i'd rather tell a new joke than something i know works i'd rather mm-hmm. tell that new joke you know always i will say this um there's different types you know um like a uh, like um, 
a joke, right? A setup and a punchline joke. Those don't have longevity. But if you have a good story that is acted out that also has some jokes in there, Mm -hmm. that can last forever because people like the story. They want to come back. They'll say, Randy, you got to hear this story. The one about the pool, you got to hear it. It's it's different. You got to hear it. And so they come wanting to hear certain bits if they're stories. Mm. Never like give me the knock knock joke again. You know, it's like, tell me the one about the thing. It went like, you know. Yeah. So in a weird way, I got lucky with that because I do have a lot of stories. That's a a really good advice. I'm similar, John, in my approach. I tell more story type stuff and then, you know, set up punchline as I tell the story. And that's part of it. And you get this insecurity that the same people are going to come see you and you're telling the same jokes. uh, And and then, you know, you feel like you got to give them something new. But I told that to some some of my friends that come to my shows, and they're like, "No, no, we love hearing that over and over again." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, you do." Yeah. I was insecure about telling it again because you were here. Uh, and so that was yeah. interesting feedback. That's the difference. If it's just a setup punchline, then you know, those are easy to remember for a lot of people, but they can't remember the whole story. And I so when they, when they hear the story again, they're like, "Oh yeah, I forgot that part." Okay, cool. You I know, mean, so there's certainly. Them. And there's got to be, I mean, there's certainly, I think on top of my head, I, I can think of a few comics who probably made their their stamp on comedy because they had one story that was so prolific that it, like, I think Burt Kreischer, you know, yeah, like Bert the, Kreischer. the machine story just solidified him as a, like a solid comic. Like everyone mm-hmm. knows him because of that one story. It's kind of crazy how that can, it wasn't, yeah. you're right. It wasn't a, a one-liner. It was a funny you know, five, 10 minute story that is just sticks with you. There are people like I have a story about um, my dad uh, almost drowning, trying to fix a hole in the bottom of our swimming pool (laughs) by wearing a backpack full of rocks and trying to breathe through a garden hose. (laughs) That happened when I was like nine years old and I was just supposed to hold the hose. So, he almost died that day, and I've been telling that story forever. If it's gotten to the point now, if I don't do that story, and, and I'm doing a meet and greet, people are mad at me for not telling the story. Uh, They're like, "I brought these people here to hear the pool story, and you didn't do it." Oh. It's like, oh, I thought you'd like to hear something new. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of does help us transition to the next question: How do you prepare? For a set, you know, now yours is probably even more complicated now because there's certain bits you have to stick in there. But what goes through your head as you're preparing for a set? And and also, if you if you don't mind, follow that up with what's the last things you do before you step on stage? Well, um, and that's changed throughout the years, too. I mean, it used to be I would uh, write down a set list like I go. Well, I know I'm going to start with this bit. I'll start with this bit that last word could lead to that. I can make that work. And then I'm sitting here writing a set list out and, um, and just writing it would put it in my brain and I wouldn't, I wouldn't need to have it in my hand. I wouldn't need to have it on stage, just writing it and looking at it and, and looking at it and really thinking about it, you know, like 30 minutes before you go on stage, if you can get some peace and quiet and really think about it, that helps me. Can I can I, want to, can I interject and say when you did the order of your jokes, were there certain jokes that you always put before other? Was there an order to it generally, or did it just was it just really random and you could you could do anything in any order? Uh, generally, I had uh, a bit of an order to to some of them. It depends on how long the set is. Am I doing seven minutes here? Am I doing thirty? Am I doing an hour? Um, sure. All that. Um, helps you whittle down what that set will be and what order it comes in. But generally I have like an opening thing, which will always be the opening thing, you know, Mm -hmm. and then you've got the closing thing, which is, that's going to be the closing thing. It's the stuff in the middle that I'm not sure what the order is going to be. And sometimes, and sometimes when you get into it, it's not what it started. And as you're thinking of the, as you're doing the joke, this is another great level that happens by the way. Um, after doing it for so long, it's great what your brain can do. Our brains are amazing. I can be on a stage delivering a story and a joke, 
and have the crowd in the palm of my hands and getting everything right and, and being physical and acting it all out. And at the same time in my brain, I'm having a conversation of like, okay, so you probably got another three minutes of this one. Uh, we'll probably <laughs> go into the Panther story after this. That's a good closer. Well, that one lady dropped a drink. We could do, we maybe do a callback on that. Uh, uh, oh, I, I got the light. Shit, got the light. So, uh, <laughs> so like, and not and no one knows that that conversation is happening in my head. It's really yeah. crazy how how when you get to that level, how that can happen. Have you seen that Dimitri Martin special where he does that in like inner dialogue throughout this? It, it's great. If you haven't seen mm -hmm. it, check it out. I have not, but I love Dimitri Martin. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's uh, the set depends on the, uh, the gig, you know, if I'm doing a, a corporate thing, then I know I'm, I'm not going to be doing any dick jokes probably. Um, if <laughs> probably, I'm doing probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I always say probably. I, I used to do this, too, when I uh, when I did colleges a bunch. Um, so the colleges actually pushed me into headliner status in a weird way because I didn't have an hour, but I told them I did. And so when they booked you, it's like they booked you for an hour. Uh, I just BS'd it, right? Did you dance so, for like 30 minutes up top? Or? <laughs> yeah, man, I just, <laughs> if I was out, I'd just dance, man. <laughs> I'd start dancing. They're like, uh, just try to do crowd work. Um, but it really forced my hand to, to come up with something immediately. Mm -hmm. um, and it's amazing what you can do. If you're a naturally funny person, it's amazing what you can do when uh, when you're uh, someone holds your feet to the fire, you know, like what you could come up with. But um, so these kids that were running, you know, it's usually kids of the college that are running the student, uh, the student um, activities, activities or boards or whatever, you know, and they don't, they don't know anything. They're just kids. And they'll come <laughs> back, they'll come back to the green room and get like, Oh, Mr. Reap. Uh, um, they said, they said you were a clean comedian. You're, you're going to be a clean comedian, right? <laughs> And I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm clean. You don't have to worry about me. I mean, uh, I might say ass. I might say hell. But I won't say GDMF. <laughs> but I might say goddamn motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and just to look at their face and be like, what? I'm like, I can't aim. <laughs> we have one question from uh from somebody and then we'll get into the video so michelle asked do you get a lot of hecklers and if so how do you deal with them pretty popular question we we get yeah. out there thank you michelle you know john reap is conceal and carry so he's always ready for it <laughs> yeah. you know what? i really i'm lucky i don't get a lot i have obviously gotten hecklers over the years but the ones that i get I mean, it depends on what your definition of heckler is. Uh, to me, a heckler is someone who stands up and says, you suck, right? Um, I don't get that. What I get is someone f finishing my joke before I get to it <laughs> or wanting to hear. <laughs> Thank you. Or um, wanting to hear a different bit. You know, uh, or or laughing. Someone's freebirding you, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that could be, an, or they, or they just yell out "Hemi" a bunch of times. <laughs> uh, do you have a do you do you have a joke about the Hemi thing? Does that does that get get into your set? Yeah. Yeah, I got a whole chunk about that whole experience that I could nice. go to in those times, just to make them happy, and then they then it's over with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's funny, like. I like to pretend that I'm all into it, you know, like the Hemi thing. Like, I really don't care. I'm an actor. You know, they paid me to right. say those words. You drive a smart car. Who gives it? You know, I mean, I, uh, the car that I own is a, a VW Beetle. Seriously? Uh, my mom drives it, but I own it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I drive a Buick Enclave. So yeah. I'm all not, right. I'm not really a car guy. They didn't give you a truck for doing all those commercials. Like, that should be a fun. while back. Yeah. A while nice. back. Yeah, it was kind of fun. I did six of those commercials. Um, after the third one, my, I told my agent, I said, hey, man, see if you can get a vehicle this time. And uh, he's like, okay. And he was good. Like, he calls them up right then, and he makes it their problem. 
He goes, hey, I don't know if you know this. Like, I don't know if you know this, but your uh, your Dodge Hemi guy is driving around Los Angeles right now in a Suzuki sidekick. <laughs> and they're like, we can't have him seen in a Suzuki yeah, sidekick. Yeah, it's off, off brand. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. yeah. So they go, well, let's get him in a truck. And so I went down later that day to a dealership, got a new truck. Yeah. Because the agent was smart. He made it sound like it was their problem. Yeah. That's smart. Nowadays, you can like you can like set up some sort of like someone comes up to you at the gas station with a camera. Oh, the Hemi guy's driving him. Yeah. You got you to you play it out like, oh, I don't know. I've done that. I, I have, I've had a lot of fun messing with people with that. Um, yeah. We even shot a spoof commercial <laughs> where it's uh, you can find this uh, probably at uh, I think if you go to hickorylive.show.com, you can find this video. It's on my YouTube. But anyway, so the idea is what would it look like had the Hemi guy grown up? You know, oh. <laughs> got, a, got a white collar job. Now he's a little sophisticated. Uh, um, and in a world where the Verizon, can you hear me now guy can switch to Sprint. Why uh, can't the Hemi guy switch to Toyota? Yeah. So, <laughs> you should pitch that. Uh, <laughs> so the idea was now it's me and I'm driving a Prius right? <laughs> and I'm sitting at a stoplight and these two rednecks pull up next to me in a big, big, loud truck. And they look down on me at my, my Prius, and they go, what, what is that, a hybrid? <laughs> and then I go, uh, I go, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a hybrid. And then the light turns green, and we floor it, and they run out of gas. Uh, and I just keep going, and it, and it says, yeah, sometimes you just have to move on. Yes. Oh, nice. So, Very good. Uh, Put, close that chapter. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna queue up the video, John. Uh, so here, if you can see there in the bottom right, John Reeve, Ginger Beard Man. This is a special that you did. Uh, I believe it was released last year. Can you tell us just a little bit of context that that, that night? Uh, where were you, and, and anything else you remember specifically about that evening? Yeah, this uh, special I shot in Chicago. Um, Oh, years ago. I knew it just sort of came out, but it's been sitting on a shelf for a long time hmm. uh, for whatever reason. Um, so I'm kind of like I, I, when uh, the company bought it, I think it was Nacelle and Comedy Dynamics that ended up buying it and putting it out. I was like, let me do it again. Let me reshoot it. I can make it better. You know, I've changed some of the jokes. I've made them better. And that costs money. I, and I didn't like my hair in this. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, uh, no, no, we're going to take this one and that's uh, going to be out there. So, um, but it is funny. The jokes are good. Um, it's just, I wish I could do it better. It's not brand, brand new, but it's new to you guys. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, uh, yeah it's got some good bits in there. And Chicago crowds get it. Uh, they're cool. Yeah. Let's let's go ahead and roll the clip. These kids got it easy with the ginger word, man. When I was a kid, it was way worse. I wish it called me ginger. Two of them killed me. One, this is dumb. It was just called red, red, the pimple head. I'm like, <laughs> it rhymes. But this one, and if you know it, I want you to finish it, all right? I don't even, I don't even like saying it. This might be a Southern thing, but if you know it, just finish it. All right, ready? It goes like this. Red on the head like the... Say it again. Wait, wait. Red on the head like a pecker on a poodle. I didn't say it, he said it. <laughs> but you're exactly right, man. But it was worse. That's a nice version. What I was what I got called was red on the head like a dick on a dog. coming out of a matinee movie theater. It was a bright sunny day and my hair was on fire. <laughs> this 13 year old girl looked at me, she goes, red on the head like a dick on a dog. <laughs> what did I do to you? This is horrible. You're not even saying I'm the dog. <laughs> the dog is literally a step above what you're calling me. <laughs> understand? I'm a dog's dick. I will take ginger over dog dick every day of the week. 
I found this one out too. I'm like the rarest of the rare ginger. I'm a blue-eyed ginger. So I'm like 0.001% of the population or something. I'm the biggest minority there is. I want my free shit. I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe some sunblock. Big hat, umbrella, something. You know what I'm saying? I'm a unicorn. Like I'm the, I could reach in my pocket, throw some glitter, and be out of here like that. You better put a net on me right now. Found this one out too. If I were to, go, if I were to go to sperm bank to make a donation. No, this is fact. You can Google this. If I were to go to sperm bank, they'd be like, "We're good." <laughs> they ain't taking gender sperm. They ain't taking it. That is insulting, ladies. Here's what, here's what you're saying without saying it. You're going like, no, you're cool, man. I like you, you're funny. Just don't want more of you running around. <laughs> We're hoping to just die off. We'll be done with you. Now get out of here, Ginger. Get, get out of here! That is horrible. <laughs> Which is why if I get lucky tonight, I ain't pulling out. I gotta do this for my people. <laughs> That's it's so good. I one thing I love is just the biographical nature. I feel like when you share this these jokes and this story, I feel like I'm I am getting to know you a little bit better. I'm getting to, I'm understanding where you come from. We all have those relatable things that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my best friend growing up was was a redhead. And these guys would, would actually come up to us and have these crazy, oh, what's up, fire engine head? And like, right. like, it was so weird. And then they didn't have anything to say to me. And so they'd say like, Dookie Brown head. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I can't fight you over that. But uh, I just like, it just, it brought me back. As I heard your jokes, I, it just connected so well. It put me back into my story of growing up. That's, I think that's what comedy is supposed to do. It's just that, that connection was so real. And yeah. I, I appreciate that so much. For these jokes, well, it's a true thing. I mean, uh, I got red, red, the pimple head. That was from um, we went to a fair, like a county fair. And, you know, the clown and the dunk tank you throw baseballs at. Yes. And I was standing with my friends. I, I thought like I was kind of a cool dude with my friends. And then and then this older clown man calls me red, red, the pimple head. <laughs> And all of my friends, all of my friends laughed really hard and looked at me. I was like, I don't have any what? And I was like, man, now, now my brother calls me that all the time. And he had not heard that one before. <laughs> that's a man I, I almost want to go to a, a fair whenever they can take place again and get draw material from that damn clown <laughs> it's a great source of material what a uh, <laughs> let me let me tell you when i first watched this special this is an interesting uh thought for you i want to i want to get out of you is uh a friend of mine a, a, a comic here locally great comic his name's grady pruitt uh, he's got a bit that has the same punch that you do about that same situation but you enter it differently and, and so it's almost like it was a parallel universe. I don't think you got it from Grady. Grady didn't get it for you, but I had to show him like, dude, look. And it was the, it was the, he goes into the sperm bank and they say, we're good. We're and, good. They, <laughs> and so how, I guess in all of your traveling, all this stuff, how many times has that happened where, where you kind of arrive at the same punch, even though you got there maybe in a different way? And then oh, what do you do? I'm sure. It ha- See, I don't even know who this person is. Yeah. Um, uh, but it, it's happened. It happens. It's a real thing. And uh, I was trying to write a new bit not long ago about ironing boards and how when you open an ironing board, it makes this god awful noise like a witch is getting sacrificed. <laughs> and I'm like, why? Why do we have to have these weird sounding ironing boards? So I, got, I sat down. I was like, I'm going to write about ironing boards. And I went. Uh, I was t- 10 minutes I had some ironing board stuff and I go like wait a minute somebody's gotta have an ironing board bit so I just typed in ironing board bit comedian and Brian Regan uh, already had of course he did the best ironing board bit it was way better than what I was gonna do <laughs> and I got very discouraged but I also don't think it's my job to go research every little thought that I have in my brain great point um, so, you know, if it happens, it happens. As long as it's not like 
the exact same words in a row, delivered the same way, people are going to say, um, we're good. People are going to say like, yeah, gotcha. Uh, or, you know, whatever it is, these yeah. little mannerisms, that's not thievery. That's, that's just connecting with your audience a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's real thievery unless it's an entire bit. Yeah. And you, and you protect yourself by being biographical with it. Kind of like what we talked about yeah. earlier. Right. And so then yeah. no, nobody can have your story. That would be impossible. So, yeah. And also the, the matinee movie happened too. It was, uh, I walked outside. We were, you know, when you walk outside of a, it's like a daytime and you were, dark and, <laughs> yeah, the eyes are adjusting and, yeah, yeah. and, and you sneeze, you start sneezing, <laughs> and I was sneezing and my hair was just like, moving, moving like <laughs> and this girl saw my hair and started laughing and then, and then said red on the head, like a dick on a dog. <laughs> and I hadn't heard that yet. I hadn't heard many cuss words at that point either. But to have a girl say that my hair looks like a dog's dick, I was just like, oh, what? It's not that bright. But, yeah, all that comes from uh, from real pain. That was, uh, that was uh, part of the album Ginger Pain that I did. I'm actually more proud of my audio stuff than my video stuff. Hmm. I, don't, I don't know why. For whatever reason, when cameras get in there, it changes everything. Mm. But my favorite, my the work I'm most proud of is John Reed, Bless His Heart. That's the first one I ever did. Recorded it in Houston at the Laugh Stop. Oh, wow. It's gone now, man. It hurts. Uh, it's gone. Yeah. And then um, after that, I did one called just Ginger Pain. Yep. Like it's a spoof of Prince's Purple Rain. I'm on a ginger motorcycle. Um, all it's, it's, Instead of purple, everything is ginger. It's ginger pain. <laughs> And that story is in there with that bit. But um, and also I like I, I never really talked about being a ginger till recently because I feel like that's what everyone's it, it seems like I have to do it now because everyone's trying to align themselves with a group. Like mm-hmm. I never wanted to be a group. I, I, I didn't want to be Southern. I just happened to be Southern. You know, I didn't. I didn't start out writing uh, going fishing's like this and I like my truck. I don't have those jokes. I talk about my family. I just sound this way. I never wanted to be in a in a put into a niche, but uh, and now when I'm watching comedians, they're like, "Well, my my mother's side is half this, and the other is half this, and that makes me is this, and I'm special because of that." <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't even know what my DNA is. I I have no interest in finding out. So at some point, I go, "Well, if everyone's doing that, I can talk about being." a redheaded kid and uh, I'll put myself on that group. And that's what I did it. Mm. We got uh, two more questions for you, John, then we're going to let you off the hook. Okay. So one's going to come from, uh, from one of our fans and listeners on the show, Clinton Shorter, a comedian here in Houston, very funny guy, which comedians inspired you? We don't ask this enough, Drew, who inspired you? Yeah, Brian Regan, uh, Mar- uh, Steve Martin. Um, uh, I guess uh, uh, Bill Cosby. (laughs) It sucks saying that, but it's true. Like when I was a kid, we could all watch Bill Cosby, and he's a master storyteller. Mm, And uh, not so much a set-up punchline guy, but his stories are great and hilarious. Um, Steve Martin is a sophisticated stupid, which I also like. (laughs) Yeah, Brian Regan is physical and smart and humble. And I like that too. So those those are the guys that make me laugh. Love it. Last one is a little harder. Uh, it, it's uh, it's something we do with all of our guests. You're the last one, season finale. This is very fun, final type question. Uh, what joke or what do you want written on your tombstone to be remembered by? <laughs> well, I think it's just going to say uh, one word, and it's just going to say bicycle. because that's something I've been saying at the end of my bits for 20 years now. I end, I walk off stage, I go bicycle. Ah, yes. Nice. Saying it for 20 years. And sometimes people catch on and go, why, why do you do that? Why why do you say bicycle? Yeah. I go, uh, well, I got it from a roommate, a guy from Texas. When I moved to LA, I had a Texan roommate, and this guy was like Western kind of guy. And um, 
<laughs> I let uh, Jeff Richards stay in my room one weekend while I was out of town. And uh, my roommate, Joe, was cool with that. Uh, he's like, oh, great. This guy's on SNL. I'd like to pick his brain. This is awesome. Yeah, he can stay here. I don't mind. Well, Jeff was kind of an a-hole, and uh, he, like, messed up my room, and it was playing music real loud at ungodly hours and Joe couldn't sleep and Jeff was not even trying to talk to him or buy him a cheeseburger or anything. Right. And so Joe got mad. Uh, now all this happened while I was out of town, Joe got mad and kicked him out. And so when I came back, I talked to Jeff first and he goes, yeah, I'm sorry, man. Joe's pissed off. I, he goes, but he left me this funny voicemail. I'm like, Oh, okay. Let's listen to the voicemail. And uh, it starts off like this. It's like, hey, you listen to me, you son of a bitch. You've been here two goddamn days. You as much as bought me a fucking cheeseburger. I can't sleep at night. I hear you in another room jacking off. The corn. I can't sleep at night. I had to call, call a sleep doctor and get more sleeping pills. That's it, buddy. I want you out of here. I want you out and gone by tomorrow. That is it. I've had enough. <laughs> Bicycle. <laughs> So I laughed my head off because he went from like anger to cute. Like he was like, I'm going to kill you. I hate you. Bicycle. Like, who wow. does that? So that's your last, that's your last words on stage. It sounds like you've already got yeah. it set up. That's it. Wow. I I'm going out. Bicycle. <laughs> that is so good john thanks again for just coming and and chopping it up with us so many good uh nuggets and thoughts and things we learned today how can people where can people find you online what what's out right now that you'd like people to check out well i've been really working hard on my podcast uh since the pandemic it's hard to get out and tour right now so uh i've been putting all my creative energies into my podcast i don't know if you can read that does that read right country ish yeah. Country-ish podcast right there. Um, we have uh, segments. We've got celebrities. We've got the Alan Jackson. Wow. Uh, we've got uh, John Stamos's brother, Marcus Stamos, is on the show. Okay. We have um, Larry the Cable Guy we've had on, uh, Jeff Foxworthy, uh, Nate, uh, Nate Bergazzi, Burt Kreischer. We get a lot of crazy interviews, and we have a lot of fun segments. One of my favorite segments that we do I get, you know, I did a lot of acting back in my day, and right now they're airing a lot of reruns because there's nothing new to be made. Yeah. So I'm getting more residual checks than I've ever gotten. <laughs> and so we made a game out of it. Um, I'll come in with an envelope. Uh, I'll tell the guys, I'll go, all right, uh, let's whoever can guess this correctly wins the game. But if you get it exactly right, I'm going to give you the check. <laughs> and, and sometimes that check, I mean, sometimes they're a nickel. But, but sometimes they're like uh, $8,000. So no one's gotten it exactly right, but it's a fun game that we call How Much Is That Screen Actors Guild Residual Check? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Oh, man, that's great. And so uh, how can we find you on uh, social media? Are you out there on yeah. Instagram, Twitter? Well, all right. uh, can I type in this thing? You, uh, okay. Not where people can see it. Okay. Uh, J-O-N. Yeah, that's it right there. JohnReap.com at JohnReap. That's everything. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All of it's verified. I'm out there. Got that blue check. Yep, exactly. That's awesome. Well, John, I, this is this has been an awesome way to end the first season of Breaking Down Bits. Thanks for taking us, you know, kind of backstage uh, and yeah. up and coming tips and things about we can learn from being, uh, you know, trying to get into that road game. Uh, and for sharing your comedy today. Absolutely amazing. My pleasure, guys. I can't wait to uh, to see uh, what's next. I'd like to get you on my podcast, too. We're, hey, we're being from East Texas. I'm country-ish. Let's do it. <laughs> I feel, yeah, everyone's got levels, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, John. We'll see you soon. All right. Take care. Drew, we Woo! did it, man. Season one is in the books. Yes, that feels so good. This, this podcast is really grown i think a lot from the beginning to just 10 episodes in um thank you again for the feedback that we're getting uh, on social media and 
that that feels so good to us. Thanks for getting involved in the middle of the episode, sharing your questions. Um, if you do have more feedback and you haven't shared it yet, we're we're gonna we're gonna take this thing down. Let it rest for uh, for a little bit of time. Get back into season two as soon as we can, and hopefully better than ever. Yeah, thank you for your feedback. If you want to follow us, or you're required. If you're listening now, you have to follow us on at, at Breaking Down Bits. Except for Twitter, I couldn't fit the S in, so it's just at Breaking Down Bit. So we'll break down one just one one bit. Uh, you can also email us anytime. Breaking Down Bits at Gmail dot com. Uh, we're going to do a couple small projects in between seasons, so look out for that. We're going to have some announcements of some of our guests coming up. We're going to continue to book great names. Uh, it, it's been incredible, the the cast of people that we've put into season one. Uh, big accomplishment for both of us to, to be oh, able yeah. to put that together, 10 hours of, of great content, share it with other comedians, new comedians. Uh, we tried to do something for people at all levels, and uh, I've got a ton out of this. Uh, I've, I've, grown as, I've grown as a comic, and I'm excited to continue to grow alongside all of y'all. Yeah, I, yeah, big thanks to everyone who who's watched any of these things. All the support means a lot. Shoot us your suggestions for who we should get on the show, how we can make it better. Brian, you're an amazing partner. I had a blast doing season one, um, and hopefully we're going to come back even better uh, with season two in just a few weeks. We'll catch you guys in a little bit for season two. This has been Breaking Down Bits, season one finale. Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website BreakingDownBits.com or shoot us an email at BreakingDownBits at gmail.com.